Good morning, Applewood family. Those of you who are guests with us this morning, we're glad you're here. Uh, you, some of you are looking at your bulletin and you're thinking, oh, they have forgotten a couple of things. You're thinking that, aren't you? Well, first one is, gosh, don't we usually stand and say good morning to one another at some point in the service? The best is yet to come. We're going to do that at the end where there's very little time restraint for uh, greeting one another and catching up with one another. The other thing is, you're wondering about little Matthias, because he's in the bulletin, right? And they're supposed to be at education, and, and Susanna took him. He's gone. And we can't do that. No, it was timely. I, I, something took up residence in my chest and my head this week, and I called Susanna yesterday, fearing that I was still quite contagious, and said, Susanna, I just don't want to get your little boy sick. And she said, I'm so glad you called because I was going to call you and say that Toby can't be there tomorrow and we can't do a dedication of Matthias without Uncle Toby. So it is yet to come. So don't you worry. Timely phone call, God's timing, it was perfect. Have you ever heard the name Eric Weinmeier? Possibly. He has a website. He is a blind mountain climber, but he is a serious mountain climber. You can go to his website, and you can read that on May 25th, 2001, he became the only blind person to summit Mount Everest. In 2003, he climbed Karsten's Pyramid on the island of Papua New Guinea, and that completed a journey of his um, that is the seven summits, that is the highest point on every continent. It started as a goal for himself back in 1995 when he first summited Mount Denali in Alaska. He is one of a select group of less than 200 mountaineers around the world who have accomplished the feat. He describes climbing the world's tallest peaks and he would tell you that he has learned to listen very well. He listens to the bell that is tied to the back of the climber in front of him so he knows which direction that he should go. He listens for the voices of his teammates who shout back to him things like, death fall two feet to your right, so he knows which direction not to go. He listens to the sound of his pick jabbing the ice so he knows whether or not the ice is safe to cross. Can you imagine? Completely blind and yet doing these incredible things. It's reasonable to say that, that not only is he an accomplished mountain climber, but Eric Weinmeier is also an expert listener expert listener. When I read that story earlier this week, I thought, gosh, that's just a perfect introduction to, to our fall series. Several weeks ago, I, I just began to, as I always do, pray and ask the Lord, well, where, where do we need to go in the fall as we were getting closer to wrapping up our summer series? And as I've shared before, sometimes the answer is quick. Uh, sometimes it is not so quick. Sometimes I think I have a good idea but the problem soon becomes that it's just my idea 
And so I, I really try to listen. I try to listen, and, and I'm no expert, but I, but I pray and I seek the Lord and I listen in both my, my reading and in my praying. Um, where, Lord, do you want us to go? This was one of those quick and really clear times. I was reading the parable of the sower one morning. It's been several weeks ago, and, and the light went on. I, I, I just knew that it was from the Lord, and the parable was to be our, our fall series. So we're going to spend a, a few Sundays together in the parable of the sower. Now, my guess is that most of us are probably familiar with that parable. Sometimes it's called the parable of the soils. The sower or the farmer, he went out to sow his seed and, and he scattered seed over four different kinds of soil. Now, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke each record the parable, but I've, I've chosen Mark's account because he adds just one word that, Mark, that, excuse me, that Matthew and, and Luke uh, do not use in their account. It's a word that comes from Jesus' mouth as he begins to tell the parable to the crowd that is around him. So let's stand together. We're going to read from Mark's gospel. And listen for that word that, uh, that Jesus uses. Together, here we go. Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, listen, oh wait, we got to say that again, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, Everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, 
they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some a hundred times what was sown. My sisters and my brothers, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. All right, you hear that word, yes? Listen, says Jesus, listen. The word Jesus uses is, is a word that, that means more than just a casual hearing of something. It's the same word that Matthew records in the account when he talks about Herod hearing the word from the wise men who came. He said, where is the one who is born king of the Jews? We have come to worship him. And Matthew says to us that upon hearing their words, King Herod was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. It's, it's an action word. It's more than just hearing. It's taking it in and it's taking action as a result of what we hear. And I think it's significant that Jesus, at least according to, to Mark, begins this particular parable with the exhortation to listen. Listen carefully. Listen and and actively respond to what you hear. I think that, that is what he is calling his first followers and we his later followers too. Some of you might remember the name Leighton Ford, uh, associate teacher and evangelist with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Leighton Ford used to like to describe the, the parables of Jesus as this beautifully wrapped package that on the inside was dynamite. And he used to like to, to imagine Jesus walking up to, to people or to a group of people and, and, and handing them this, this, this package, this beautifully wrapped package, and then walking away. And, you know, and as he got over the, the, the hill and, and down the roadways, there was an explosion as people unwrapped the package and the meaning of the parable began to become clear in their lives. Parables can be both powerful and confusing. And I believe, and, and I think I've shared this with you over the years, that, that we always need to be cautious when interpreting parables because we need to remember that they, they are stories. They are stories that, that, are, that are made up. They are made up within the context of the culture in which they are told. Some things in parables are obvious, uh, some things are not so obvious. Characters, character traits uh, may be exaggerated in a parable in order to, to make the, the larger point of that parable. So we always want to be cautious. We certainly don't want to build our theology or our doctrine exclusively on parables. But with this parable, this parable that Jesus says, listen, there is no speculation. He explained it. Mark tells us that 
his followers asked him about the parables, probably wanting to to understand why he taught in parables. And if we can put that next slide up, Rachel, this, this was his response. We read this together. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but not perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. So, your neighbor question is right there at the bottom of the slide. What do you think Jesus is saying here? Turn to your neighbor and see what they think. Talk about it for just a couple of minutes. What do you think Jesus is saying here? Okay, we ready? Or does this one need to go on for a little longer? (laughs) So what do you think? It's very confusing. You're not alone. You think. Together. Teamwork. (laughs) I might have an answer for you. No promises. Ah, does Jesus ever use irony? I'm trying to think of other... Anybody think of another situation where he may have used irony? I mean, it, it wouldn't be... Ah, with the Canaanite woman. The crumbs under the table. The log in the eye. Okay. Yeah, good, good. Thank you. So, maybe. Maybe some irony there. Okay, what else? Mm. Okay. So you think it's more of a heart thing. Surprise, surprise, right? We don't know. It's possible? It's possible? It's possible. Um, you know, the, the phrase, the, uh, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. That's an important phrase. We'll talk a little bit more about that. The language of faith. Say more. I like that. I like that. Good observations. You're, you're, you're wrestling well with it. And, and here's the bottom line. We don't really know. It's so interesting to read the commentaries on this one because there, there, are, some, there are some purpose statements in, in, in the Greek. It's, it's, it's called a hint clause. And so that, so that is one of those purpose statements. Otherwise, they might turn. That, that's, that, again, that's another purpose statement. And, and those purpose statements drive the commentators crazy. And, and frankly, it drives all of us crazy because we, we don't like the idea that God may not want all to see him and know him, to perceive and to, to really understand and, and to turn and to be forgiven. I think it's important for us to remember that Jesus is speaking to his followers who have had faith to believe in who Jesus is. And what's not built into the language is a sense of time. There's there's not a time limit that is suggested in the language. At least it's not clear. Um, And I think what Jesus is wanting his followers to understand is that 
that there is, there is a huge mystery here about faith and, and how it works in the lives of people. Diana, I like your comments about the, the language of faith. The word that is translated for us here, secret, is also used in Matthew and Luke's record of the story. It's used in Revelation a few times. It's used by Paul many times in his writings. It is never used to describe something that is only revealed to a limited number of people. It's always used to describe God's revealing something to humanity that was previously unknown. And so it causes us to think that perhaps those who have responded are in the process of growing and understanding those who are on the outside. The outsiders, it's a word that that is often used in Scripture that that means those who are outside the door, they haven't haven't pushed through the door yet. They haven't knocked on the door. They, they They haven't entered yet. But again, there's not a sense of of time limit. You remember maybe these words from Paul when he wrote to the Colossians and he said, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations has now been revealed. And he talked about God opening the door of salvation to the Gentiles. The Colossians were primarily Gentile believers. He said, the mystery is this. The mystery is Christ in you. The hope of glory The mystery that has been revealed according to Paul is God's revelation of himself through his son, Jesus. God, according to Paul, had come to earth. He had put on flesh. He had lived among his people. God was closer physically to them than ever before. And so when Jesus tells his followers that the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to them, I'm inclined to think that he is referring to himself because Paul refers to the secret as God's making himself known in Christ. I think Jesus is referring to himself and why he has come to earth to reveal God in a way that that God has never been seen or experienced before, to make possible a relationship of intimacy with God that that was lost as a result of humanity's sin. Jesus is the secret that has been given to them and has been revealed to them. The amazing, miraculous truth that God is walking with them. They were living in relationship with God like no one had before. And a relationship with God is always dependent upon faith. That is, that's the heart of the gospel. Faith is believing. Believing is faith. You know, in the, in, the, in the Greek language, faith and believe are the same word. So to, to believe is to have faith. To have faith is to believe. So faith is believing that God is who he is and believing in what he has done through Jesus for lost, sinful people. Hebrews 11.6, you know this verse, tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is, it is possible, it, it's impossible to, to come to a place of, of standing in God's pleasure. Without faith, it is impossible to please God for the person who comes to God 
for the person who approaches God, for the person who even considers that God might have some place in his or her life, they must believe, the writer of Hebrews says, believe that God exists and that he rewards those who seek after him. So I think that the language that Jesus is using here in this parable is to highlight to his his followers the, the blessed privilege that they find themselves standing in, that they are the recipients of this secret of God, standing there in the flesh, seeing God in humanity who has, who has come to interact with them, who has come to make it possible that lost people all over the world can have a restored relationship with the God who loves them. That makes sense so far? So far so good? Jesus knew, I think, Jesus knew that there were people in his day who were seeking God, think religious authorities, they were seeking God, and they felt pretty confident that they knew who God was. And so you think of the folks in Jesus' day who who at least the scripture records for us, struggled a whole lot with who Jesus revealed the Father to be. They struggled a whole lot with Jesus who always seemed to be the rule breaker, who wasn't doing things the way that they were supposed to be done. It was more often than not those who were the religious authorities. It seems to me that what Jesus wants us to hear in these words is that the work of God in people is always a mystery. And it begins with every person, it begins with faith in the life of every person who finds themselves moving into and walking into and living into a relationship with with God. You know, my, my seminary prof who just closed every class period with, remember folks, grace is a mystery. Grace is always a mystery. There's no doubt that Jesus speaks words that make us think that he has a purpose in hiding the truth in parables, and, and that's mysterious. Why would he do that? I, I believe that Jesus wants his followers, then and now, to understand that the work of God is a mystery, and that belief is not a formula that belief is not predictable. Belief is not a one, two, three, four step process. What makes sense to one person is stupid to another. But then what is stupid may at some point become perfectly clear. Grace at work in the life of a person. Think about your own faith experience this morning. Think about, if you can remember, the time that you put your faith in Christ. You surrendered your life to become a follower of Jesus. Why did you do that? What was it on that day, at that moment, that convinced you that hadn't convinced you the day before? Or the week before? What caused you to see your need for a Savior that you hadn't seen before. 
How do you explain why you believed when you believed? Why you didn't believe before you believed? I think maybe the best way to understand these words is to say that Jesus taught in parables in order to conceal the truth to those whose hearts were hard toward God. And I like to think of it as a process of just chiseling away on the hard hearts until they came to a point of willingness to believe the truth about God. Willingness to, to, to push on that door that, gosh, maybe there's something here that, that I really don't understand. Maybe there's something here that is way bigger than what I have understood to this point. And finding that, that as they begin to take steps towards believing, their spiritual eyes would begin to open. And a softening of their hardened hearts would begin to happen. You ever known people like this? Yeah, I think many of us have known folks who, you know, for a long time we just thought, boy, Now, that'll be the hardest person in the world for God to reach. And suddenly, they're a follower of Jesus. And there's no explaining how that happened apart from the mystery of the work of God's grace in their lives. God who loves them and desires to bring them to salvation. Who knows when and how These things come about. Only God does. We good with that? (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) But yet, Dixie, I wonder if the mystery of not knowing is a part of what drives the importance of this parable into our lives. And, and so, so let's, let's go a little further. Jesus then explains, after he makes the statement, uses these difficult words, he explains the parable as a lesson on how different people respond to the truth of God. Do you find yourself, if this parable is familiar, the story's familiar and Jesus' explanation is familiar, you find yourself just kind of reading through it and, and, and you're, you're already connecting the dots because we read the first half before the explanation, but we know the explanation because we've read it before. And so we, we, we read the parable and we think, well, what's so mysterious about that? Well, it's because we know the answer. But, but the, the original followers of Jesus were stumped by this. And... And it almost seems like there is a slight, ever so slight rebuke in the words of Jesus to his disciples. You know, if you don't understand this parable, then how on earth are you going to understand other parables? And I I hear in the words of Jesus, this, my friends, is foundational. This This is what you build on right here. This is... This is just fundamental to to what you need to understand about 
salvation and what God is doing. So, so this is going to be a part of our adventure as we move through this in the next few weeks together to, to begin to look at it's because I think it's a it's an intersection, if I can say it that way, an intersection of of the human heart's response to God, which is a mystery. God is at work, and the factors that are both inside a person's life and outside of a person's life that affect that response. Uh, that's what Jesus is playing out for us here. So we want to look at those different heart responses to the truth of God, but. I think that that begs the question, how do hearts respond apart from hearing the truth? Paul referred to that in, in Romans 10. You know, how will, how will people believe if they don't hear? And how will they hear if they're not told? And so that becomes the other part of this adventure together. We want to we wanna look at the soils and the conditions both inside and outside of a human heart, in response to God's work of faith in their lives. But we also want to consider our, our role in that and, and what is God calling us to. Which brings us to the one part of the parable that Jesus does not explain. Did you notice that at all? We are, we are told that the seed is the word. Of course, we knew that before Jesus' explanation because we've read the explanation before. We're told that the seed is the word. Matthew says in his gospel that it's the word about the kingdom of God. Luke calls it in his gospel the word of God. And then we have John in his gospel who talks about Jesus as being the word of God. And so we, we have soils explained as different people and their response to the word of God and his kingdom. We're, giving, we're given reasons for their responses. Satan snatches the word from some of them. Others lose their joy when trouble and persecution comes. Others hear the word, but the worries of this life choke the word like weeds. Others hear the word and accept it, and they live fruitful lives. But there is something, or there is someone, Missing. Did you notice? Say again. The sower. Who's the sower? We don't know. But Jesus not telling us who the sower is, I think we 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 have we have clues. Let's let's think about let's think about the seed again. Mark tells us it's the Word. Luke says it's the Word of God. Matthew, as I just mentioned to you, says the Word about the kingdom of God. Proclaiming Jesus, all four of the Gospels give us Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of God, proclaiming that the kingdom of God is near, that the kingdom of God, Jesus said, is among you. So, so if the seed is the word, not just any word, but the word, and that word has to do with the kingdom of God come to earth in Jesus, then who might the farmer be? 
Some commentators want to say that Jesus is the farmer. I'm not going to argue with that because Jesus went around proclaiming the word of the kingdom of God. But I also think that this is the point in which we find ourselves in the parable because Jesus gave to us the commission of doing what? Taking the truth of the gospel into the world? You will be my witnesses? Go into all the world and make disciples? People can't become disciples if they don't know what they're being discipled into, and so they have to hear and understand what the faith is that we want to disciple them into. Commentators are, are divided about whether this story should be titled The Parable of the Soils or The Parable of the Sower. Frankly, I think both is good because I think a, a close look at both is important to realize that, that in the soils of this story are revealed heart conditions of many people and their response to the good news of God in Christ. Some respond as we hope, and, and some, well, they don't respond as we hope. But, but I, I think that maybe even more importantly is, is the role of, of the sower, the, the farmer. We, we need to understand what that role is and, and what that role is not. The gospel is often referred to as the good news. Because that's what the word gospel literally means, good news. So the question then becomes for all of us, is it, is it good news? Is it really good news? When's the last time you got really good news in your life? Did you keep it to yourself? I do all the time. All the time. I keep good news in my life. Jesus said, the farmer went out to sow his seed. Why did the farmer do that? That's a dumb question, I know. Thank you, Matt. Say that louder. That's what farmers do. Farmers sow seeds because they want to grow crops. Because crops are important. And the more abundant the crop, the better. Farmers sow seeds because that's what farmers do. I've been aware of the fact lately as I have been praying and thinking about this series, I don't sow seeds. And so I'm just telling you about me. I I don't sow seeds. You could ask me, So, guy, are you a golfer? I would say, no way. No golf. Not sure which end of the club I would use. So, guy, are you a fisherman? I I might get a little closer to saying, yeah, yeah, I I fish. So, how often do you fish? Oh, I probably fish three or four times a year. And your response would be, You're not a fisherman. You could ask me, Guy, are you a follower of Jesus? To which I would 
without reservation, say, absolutely, I am a follower of Jesus. So, how often do you talk to people about Jesus? Do you mean those inside my church or outside my church? You see where I'm going? That's why Jesus wanted his followers to understand how foundational, how fundamental this parable is. That farmers sow seeds because that's what farmers do. And after the explanation of the parable, the disciples, I think, had a whole lot better understanding of what Jesus was getting at. Are you a follower of Jesus? Well, then what does that look like? It looks like sowing the seeds of the gospel. Now, let me just say a quick word about seeds, and we'll, we'll do more with this as we unpack the series. Not every seed contains every truth. And I think sometimes when we think about sharing with someone, we think about this, this package deal, you know? And this package might have, you know, five or seven or ten steps in it. And if we're going to effectively share with them, we've got to take them from step one to ten in the amount of time that we have to share. I don't think so. I think that the the seed that Jesus is talking about is powerful enough to begin to raise questions and cause people to wonder even when there's just a piece of it that's sprinkled in their lives. When we talk about God's love, when we talk about God's provision, when we mention to a stranger who has told us about something in their life that evokes those words from us, oh man, I'll I'll pray for you about that. That is a sprinkling of a seed to someone for whom maybe prayer doesn't mean anything. is not a part of their experience. I have been thinking more intentionally about this, and, and I have been asking the Lord more faithfully, more regularly, not the Lord's faithfulness, my being faithful to say, so, Father, who, whose life can I sprinkle today? Teresa had gone to California ahead of me last weekend, and I was up doing our walk on the trail behind our house, and I ran into another gentleman who was walking, and and we were just chatting and and making small talk and telling each other about what we had seen on on the trail. And and then the conversation came around to, oh, yeah, I live in Arvada, you too. 20 years he lived here. I said, oh, we've lived here for a little over 16 years and, and you know, yada, yada for a little bit more and, and, and away we went in our opposite directions. And I, and I swear to you, the Spirit of God whispered into my life as I got further down the path and closer to home these words, you missed an opportunity. You missed an opportunity. And then the words that came to my mind were, you should have asked him if he and his wife go to church anywhere. Something as simple as that. And I just thought, no, really? And it's like the Spirit said, yeah, really? You know, that would have been an easy question. He's lived in Arvada for 20 plus years. So you and your wife 
go to church anywhere? You, you worship anywhere together? Who knows how he would have responded to that? That's a great question. Who knows? Because I didn't ask. But that kind of sensitivity, I, I think the Spirit will heighten us to those kinds of opportunities if we are just willing to be intentional. And so, just very quickly, and then I want to wrap up, some descriptors of the farmer. A farmer is intentional. A farmer sows seeds. Because if they don't sow seeds, then they must not be a farmer. That's what farmers do. They sow seeds. They, they, they know the importance of, of sowing seeds in order to grow things. Am I a follower of Jesus? Are, are you a follower of Jesus? And so there's an intentionality there. You know, farmers are also, they're timely. They, 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 they're intentional. They think about it. They do it. But they're also timely. And they, they think about the right time. To, to grow, to, to sow certain seeds. It occurs to me that for the follower of Jesus, the season is always present. And yet the Spirit may guide us and lead us in conversations that are different with every person. I guess, I guess what I'm saying is that it's not necessarily a canned speech about Jesus for every person that we meet. The Spirit may bring all kinds of things to mind for this person, but for this one, it may just be a, a mention of something related to, to life with Christ. And this one, sowers or farmers, they're, they're, they're purposeful in how they, they sow, but not necessarily exclusive. Now, the image that we need to have of the first century farmer was a bag of seed hanging on his side, sticking his hand into that bag and scattering seed like this as he walked along. Now, he tried to avoid the hard-packed path because he knew that nothing was really going to grow there. He tried to avoid the rocks, but that's almost impossible in Israel he tried to avoid places where the seeds would be shaded or crowded out by the thorns. But again, seeds just fall where seeds fall, even though he is seeking to be purposeful. We can be purposeful. We can be people who are prayerful. We can be people who are seeking the Lord about individuals who we so desperately want to share. We know who we want to share with. But I think that it's possible that we're so intent on who it is we want to share that we might miss those with whom God wants us to share. You know, just a little seed over here, a little seed over there. Didn't see that one coming. But it's his business anyway. And the other thing is, I think sometimes, at least I do, I, I get concerned that people don't, know enough. I want them to, to know more. And, and I want to package this complete presentation in a way that will send them on their way being a fully devoted follower of Jesus. But in reality, they've not even heard of him before. And I think it's important for us to, to realize that just a, a little word here or a little word there 
uh, a piece of what we know to be the truth um, can be significant in their lives. But bottom line is, brothers and sisters, do we really understand the, the richness of the salvation that God has given to us in Christ? Do we understand that it truly is good, good news? It's good news because the bad news is that humanity has fallen out of relationship with God for whom they were made to live in a love relationship. And because of Christ, we are invited back into that relationship. Uh, the, The holiness of God is not looked aside and said, oh, they're nice folks, they're trying. No, the holiness of God has looked down at a broken humanity and said, that's a mess that only I can fix. And therefore, he has done that. And we who have been let in on the secret, we who live in relationship with the secret of God, are called to be those who, who share joyfully the secret and how it has touched our lives, how it has impacted our lives, how we understand it for our lives. So, all that to say, that's where we're going to live for the next few Sundays together as we look more closely at this soil. Praise team, come on up and prepare to lead us as, as we close this morning. And let me pray for us as these folks come. Father, we, uh, boy, we recognize that there is just huge mystery in this thing that we call faith. To believe. Uh, we, we recognize that, that there is not a quick easy, neat, understandable formula, we recognize that your Spirit works in the hearts of people according to your timetable and your understanding of their circumstances and that, that sometimes you, you prefer to, to let those hearts just continue in their hardness so that when the time is right and you break through, they really do see and they really do understand. We recognize, too, that there are factors in persons' lives and outside of their lives that affect their response to the gospel, to the good news, to the truth of who Jesus is. Would you guide us in these weeks together? Would you open our hearts and open our minds that we might embrace more fully what it means to be followers of Jesus, sowers of the seeds of the truth of the kingdom of God, in this world, so that we might just scatter seeds wherever we go, wherever we are, with whomever we are are with. And Lord, may we be satisfied to know that we are being obedient to you and that we are calling attention to you. For you, in our world's perspective, you are not one that many people are interested in, but we know that you are someone who everyone needs to be interested in. So involve us, we pray. Uh, Motivate us, uh, convict us, challenge us, stretch us, excite us about being people who are participating with you in the proclamation of the kingdom in this world, we pray. In Jesus' name.